This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Alright, good morning. Hey, if that doesn't pump you up, I don't know if you have a pulse today, right? That was amazing. Hey, who's excited to be here today? Just put your hands together. All right. The worship team set us off great, and we're going to try to continue on that note today. We're in this series called Summer Break, where we're, we're looking at certain theologies or certain mindsets or certain things in our life. We're like, hey, we want to break away from them, and the reason we want to break away from them is so we can grow in our faith, so God can use us in our faith, so God can do the things in our lives that He wants to do in our lives, and we're just trying to get out of the way. So today, we're, we're going to start off with a topic in just a few moments in that it's not going to be the deepest conversation we've ever had. But I would say, and I'll get to this in a second, I would guarantee you if applied, this could be, have, have some of the greatest impact in your life. It, it, kind of imagine this, if someone walks up to you and they can give you advice, they're going to give you one piece of advice, and they promise, the promise is like, if you do this, you, the promise is, I'm just squeaked there, I got to laugh for a second, my voice just gave out. All right, the promise is, if you apply this faith, or you apply this advice that you're about to get here, that your life is drastically going to change. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. If applied, your life will change. That in a good way, right? That, that if you take this advice, you'll become a better person. You'll become a better spouse. You'll have less regrets in your life. Fewer mistakes. You'll have, you'll have a stronger faith. Your relationship with God would be better. All you have to do is apply this advice. Work on this one principle. Put it in your life and things will drastically improve or your life will have drastically less few regrets. How many of you say, I want that advice? I, I would take it. Most of us would take it, right? So, so what is the advice? The advice is this, or, or the, the opinion, or what we we're going to say, like, hey, if we can just do this, the discipline is break away from compromise. Everybody say compromise. Compromise, right? Compromise. Now, I'm not talking about the type of compromise that when you're like the good compromise, where there's two parties, maybe a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, an employer, where you're compromised to come to a common agreement so you can continue, right? I'm not saying break away from that compromise. The compromise that we're talking about is this. Compromise. Being untrue to your core values and beliefs. So being untrue to something that you believe is a core value. So as Christians, our faith, what we believe Jesus says. So being untrue to that or selling out to a core belief to achieve a short-term goal. So compromise is like, you know you shouldn't do something, but you decide to do it anyways, even though it goes against what you believe, because it'll give you something that you want. You'll get to date a type of person you want. You won't ruffle feathers. You're going to compromise because it may give you more money or it may be a better situation. So there's these little compromises. So we're talking about being untrue to your core values or beliefs. And as Christians, we believe that God gives us core values and beliefs to live by or selling out to a core belief, doing something that we know we shouldn't to achieve something that we want in the short term. Right, so that's what we're going to be looking at. And before we get there, though, I want you to imagine with me one more time. I want you to imagine, we've done this before, but I just want you to think about this. Imagine that, that you fast forward to the end of your life, and hopefully a long, long time from now, and, and you're at your funeral. And I want you to think about who will be there. Who's going to be in the audience? Is it going to be your kids? Is it going to be your spouse? Is it going to be coworkers? Is it going to be people that you love along the way in life? And I want you to think about some things. I want you to start thinking about, what are they going to say about you? Because they're going to say something. What are they going to say about you? 
where they talked about how funny you were and, man, you just light up a room every time you walked into it. Where they talked about, hey, this guy, man, this, this lady, this guy, they were so grumpy all the time. Where they talk about someone who was gracious and kind or they're just like, hey, they're just full of hate. What will people say? Because I heard a quote once, and, and I believe this to be true. The person said, he's like, the hardest pill to swallow in your life is that one day your life will be reduced to a single sentence. Maybe not right away, not in the first couple months, not in the first couple years maybe, but eventually in your family tree, your life will be reduced to one simple sentence. Man, my dad's birthday was yesterday. My dad hasn't been around since I'm nine years old. And I, when I think about his life, I, I often think about it in a, in a sentence, right? Even though that was my dad. And, and so one day, th- someone will say, Nathan was, or you were. And the question becomes, what do you want to be in your blank? What do you, what do you want to be in your blank? What, what do you want people to know or say about you? What do you want your legacy to be? How do you want your family to remember you? How do you want your faith legacy to be? What do you want people to say about you at the end of your life. And so as I think about this, and I believe as Christians, we should very much live with the end in mind, the end in sight. And we're not too focused on that, but we're living with the end in mind. And so every day it's like, hey, it's 50-50 some days of what people are going to put in my blank. But I live life motivated by this. So what do you want people, what do you want people to put in your blank? And the reason we're talking about this, kind of get going when we talk about compromise is this. When there's a gap between who you want to be, all right, so we all have a person we want to be, but then there's a reality of who we are. Compromise is often to blame. So when there's a gap between who you want to be and who you are, compromise is often to blame. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is in, in our minds that all of us have an idea of who we want to become or who we want to be, what type of person, who we want to be, what we want to be in our blank, what we want people to think about us, what we want people to see, think about when they see us, what we want to be remembered about, or, or just goals that we're trying to accomplish in our life, in our faith, and in our everyday life, who we're trying to become, what, what we want to do for God, what, we want, what type of character we want to have. We have this vision and this idea in our minds, but because we're flawed and because we're imperfect, we don't always reach that potential. We don't always reach who we want to be. So we constantly live with this idea of who we want to be, but then there's a reality of who we are. And and so that gap is often created because of compromise. And these little compromises create a gap between who you are and who you want to be. What do I mean by little compromise? Well, compromise in the Christian world is often sin, right? And we'll get to what that means in a second. But compromise is this. Like, hey, I know typically I don't date that type of person, but woo-wee, you should see what she looks like. Or you see what he looks like. They're so good looking. I don't know if I can say no. I usually don't cut corners to make more money. But man, have you seen gas prices lately? It's like $12.95 to fill up, my, you know, fill up one gallon, right? I don't usually talk to this person, you know, I usually don't do this on social media, but they, pop, they slid into my DMs, right? And I know I shouldn't talk to them, but it's just, it, I'm just going to talk to them a little bit. Or I know I don't do this, it's like I'm just going to a little bit of compromise. And those little compromises equal a gap between who you are and who you want to be. And what we don't realize about compromise is compromise is a faith or, or life destroyer, right? Because what does compromise bring into our lives? Compromise brings sin into our lives. What a compromise is when, in the faith world is going against what God believes or going against a core value. And when you live outside of God's core values or God's commands, it's called a sin. And what sin does is dr- brings destruction to our lives. 
And what I think we, we sometimes get caught up in this is we forget and we, we focus so much on this idea that God is gracious and God is gracious and God, show, God shows us grace and, and that God wants us to, you know, be, be forgiven of our sin. But we also forget that when we're living that God has a desire for his people to live. There's certain ways that God desires for us to live. And, and when there, we live a life of compromise... There are always consequences. Every sin brings consequences. Now, you may not see the result of that compromise right away. You may not see it in a year from now, but you may see it five years from now. There's always consequences to sin. And the, the one consequence that's always that you can't see, but you can experience is the more you sin and the more you continue to sin with unrepentant sin is the farther you get from God. And the farther you get from God, the more disaster and destruction is in your life. So there's always consequences. And we have to remember, and I, I don't think we talk about it enough, that God cares about how we live. Yes, God is a gracious Father. God loves us and He wants us to turn to Him, but He cares about how we live. So we got the Bible and we got the Old Testament and New Testament. And the Old Testament and New Testament, they go together. There's 66 books. And really, they go together. And it's a redemptive story of God's plan for humanity. How God is going to save humanity, what God has done for humanity. And, you know, the Old Testament talks about how it leads to Jesus and the Israelites and covenants and it points to Jesus. And then the New Testament has Jesus. And after Jesus, we have the letters and we get to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and talks about what's going to happen to end times. But it's pointing to God's redemptive plan. God is the hero of the Bible. Jesus is the hero. We are not the heroes of the Bible. God is the hero, and he's going to redeem things. But meanwhile, as he's going to redeem us, he's going to offer us forgiveness and mercy and grace. Meanwhile, you will see throughout the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, some things in the Old Testament no longer apply, but the New Testament, when Jesus starts speaking, that there's a standard of living that they call, God calls us to, and that God cares about how we live. And I want to take you to an example today about God calling a, a man to live a certain way. He was an influential man, a man who would have been the third king of Israel. And his life would have been this giant warning label, do not try this at home, right? Don't do this at home. Like, and we can look at it and say, like, this is what happens when we live a life of compromise. The man we're looking at it is King Solomon. King Solomon's dad was King David. King David was the second king of Israel. King David, if you, if you can imagine, would have been a, a celebrity at the time. He, he, he killed Goliath. He was a powerful king. He, he had some faults and failures. But David's call from God was to be a man after God's own heart. That's what David was referred to. And David was this powerful, majestic king. And his kingdom kind of falls at the end. And it doesn't end well. And he has compromise in his own life. But he has a son. And his son, one of his sons, he has many sons. But one of his sons' name is Solomon. And Solomon becomes the third king of Israel. And he's got some big shoes to fill. And so how it kind of goes in the book of 1 Kings, starting in chapter 3, we'll look at today. What happens is King Solomon is kind of spoken to by God and said, hey, you can ask for anything you want. So you can ask for riches or power or whatever you want, Solomon. What do you ask for? What do you want? What, what, can, I, what can I do for you? And essentially Solomon says, God, I, I want wisdom. I want discernment. I, I want to grow in the ways you want me to grow. I want to be like my father. And I want to be a man after you. I want my heart's desire to be to please you with my life. And so in 1 Kings 3, it, we pick up there. And we're going to be kind of jumping all, all over 1 Kings today. It says, I will, God says to Solomon, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. So that you have never been like anyone before you. Nor will there ever be. Moreover... God's like, I'm going to do that. Moreover, however, also, 
I will give you what you have not asked for. That's for both wealth and honor, so that you, in your lifetime, you have no equal among you, king. God's like Solomon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you in more ways you can ever imagine. I'm going to give you what you want. You're going to become the wisest person to ever live. Uh, you're gonna be, there's going to be no king like you. You're going to be wealthy, you're going to be rich. And, here, and eventually, you know, this conversation continues. And basically, God says, here, here's what you've got to do, Solomon. Be obedient to me and don't compromise. Be obedient to me. And don't compromise. So Solomon's kingdom starts off, and Solomon is a powerful, wise king. And the legends go, and you can read in First Kings, he does some amazing things. And, and his kingdom grows, and his power grows. And it is said that there was no one in all the world as wise as King Solomon. That all the, the wisdom in Egypt, the, the other powerful kingdom at the time, Solomon was above all of them. His kingdom, his riches were above everybody around. His kingdom grows and his wealth grows, his influence grows. And he starts off being obedient to God, but as things go on, he starts to do some things to gain power and wealth that God doesn't approve of. And one of the first things that he does is he starts to make alliances, treaties with other countries, countries who are typically Israel's, God's chosen people, enemies. And these political alliances lead Solomon to little compromises. Because at the time, when you made these uh, political alliances or treaties with these other nations, what was common is that you would marry a daughter of the king you're making an alliance with. So he starts marrying these women who don't believe what he believes, who are from the tribes that God says, hey, don't mess with those tribes because we're trying to set you apart and make you different. But Solomon opens up his life to little compromises. And listen to what happens in, in, verse, in chapter 11. It says this, King Solomon, however loved many, everybody say many, many foreign women. He loved his women, right? He loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, the Moabites, the Mennonites, the Denonites, the Sinonites, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord told Israel. Solomon knew this. God says, you must not intermarry with, their, with them because they will surely turn your, your hearts after their gods. God's like, you cannot marry them because when you do, you're opening up your life to life of compromise. So here's what happens. Solomon grows in power and stature. God is blessing him. And he just says, hey, listen, don't marry other women from other nations. You don't need treaties. I will protect you. I will give you. You are my people. I will give you everything you need. You don't have to compromise and go to these other nations. I will protect you. But Solomon does his own thing and God allows us to do our own things in our life. And, and he has many wives and he has many, many wives. And the idea of this is it wasn't just one compromise. It wasn't just one compromise. It was many compromises. How many compromises? Well, let's, let's go. Let's see how, what it says. And the next slide here says, he had 700 wives. Can you imagine that, right? 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. What's 700 plus 300? A thousand, a thousand women. So how many compromises does he have? He has a thousand compromises just in, in who he intermarries with or who he spends his time with, the women in his life. One thousand. He had many compromises. It wasn't just one little compromise. It was many. All of them had their own gods, own belief systems, and all, each single one of them, one to one thousand would have been one choice at a time to compromise. 
See, Solomon would have known that this would have brought compromise into his life because back in Deuteronomy, when God was speaking to the Israelites, he was with Moses. This is what God says. He's like, do not collect multiple wives. Do not collect horses, like meaning do not collect modern day tanks and chariots. Do not collect gold and silver also. Because God says, you don't need those things because I'm going to protect you. But Solomon collects all three, gold, money, and, and wives. So how does Solomon get... How does Solomon become this king who had this wisdom like nobody else, but also to a king that's compromised? One wife at a time, one horse at a time, one decision at a time. How do we create a gap in our lives from who we are and who we want to be? One compromise at a time. How do you look back at your life 10 years from now and say, man, how did I get here? You can tell the story with one compromise at a time. And, and as I think about that, I, I thought back of the story I heard from my high school teacher in history class about Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. It's one of the most infamous days in American history. The Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and about 2,400 soldiers died. Many battleships were destroyed. It was a day of devastation at the time. One of the biggest, if not the worst, foreign attack on American history ever. But what, what often people don't know is on that particular day, I believe it was a Sunday or a day when people, not everybody was around, they, some of the soldiers of lower rank looked at a radar and they saw something that disturbed them. They saw that it looked like a bunch of uh, planes were coming about, that a bunch of planes were on the radar, that there were just so many of them that they seemed almost to be faulty. So 50 minutes before this picture was ever taken, they, they kind of radioed in to someone who was above them in rank. And they, he said, hey, they said, hey, we see some things on the radar. It's not really making sense. And you know what their responder said? That's no big deal. Don't worry about it. 50 minutes would have got a lot of things. A lot of things would have happened in 50 minutes if they were worried about it. A lot of things could have been avoided, history tells us, if they were to worry about it in 50 minutes. But when I look at this phrase, and I think of compromise, this is the phrase that I think coincides with compromise. Hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Every sin, I believe, starts with one seemingly small, harmless compromise of, oh, don't worry about it. Oh, I, I, I know... I, I, I know I shouldn't, this substance, I, I know my family struggles with it. I know it's ruined people's lives and, and my friends' lives and my friends' circle, but it's just one time. I'm not going to worry about it. Or it, it's just, I know I shouldn't do this. I know that God is very clear of not doing this and living like this, but it, it's not going to hurt anybody. Just don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. I know I shouldn't be on these websites. I know I shouldn't be talking to this person. I know I should be dating this person. But, oh man, it makes me happy. Let's just not worry about it. And I imagine as King Solomon gets richer and richer and kingdom grows and grows, and he, he likes what he's experiencing from all these other kings, and his, he's just sitting in the top of his castle. And after each compromise, after each wife, he's like, ah, it's no big deal. No big deal turns into 500. He's like, ah, it's, I got 500. What's, what's 200 more, right? I got 700 wives. Not a big deal. 
Every sin, I believe, starts with one seemingly small, harmless compromise of the, oh, don't worry about it mindset. That's King Solomon's story. Well, it, it continues. See, let's kind of see what happens to King Solomon. Well, eventually his wives led him astray, away from the directed path. There became a gap between who he wanted to be and who he was. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after their gods. What did God say was going to happen if he compromised? He said, they will turn your heart away from me. And, and, and in verse 4, we see that his heart was turned away after other gods. And his heart was no longer fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. Solomon started off wanting to be a king whose heart was like his father's. By chapter 11 and verse 4, his heart is not fully devoted to God because he's let compromise in his life. If you skip down to verse 6 in the same chapter, here's what it says. It says, so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Man, can you imagine having to fill the shoes of David, right? The author keeps going back to David, right? But Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. When we compromise, when we sin, we're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. If we skip down a couple more verses, in verse 10 it says this. So the Lord said to Solomon, remember there's always consequences to compromise. Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant, you have compromised, and my decrees which I commanded you. Remember, all Solomon had to do was be obedient and not compromise. But since you decide to compromise, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you. And give it to one of your subordinates. Basically, hey, one of these people that you intermarry with, they're going to get your kingdom one day. Nevertheless, Solomon, for the sake of David, your father, there's his father again, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. And that's kind of, I mean, that, he has to live with that, knowing like, my son is never going to be successful. He's never going to get a chance because of what I have done, because of my sins. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him. But I'll give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant. There's David again. And for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So eventually what God says to Solomon, Solomon, because you've compromised, one, you will never be who you started out wanting to be. You will, your legacy will never be the type of king. Your blank will never be what you wanted it to be because of the compromise in your life, because you disobeyed, because you decided to do your own thing. Because of that, there's going to be consequence, and this consequence isn't just going to go to you. It's going to go to your son. And the, ki- the kingdom of Israel is never going to be the same again. It's going to split. God will eventually raise up some enemies, and Jeru- kingdom will split. Eventually, Isra- Israel, Jerusalem will become no more. And this king who started off so prominently, king who started off with a good reputation, that, who God said there will never be a king like you, ends, his story basically ends like this. How do, you, how do you get there? Or why is this his story? And the simple answer, simple, simple answer is he never broke away from compromise. He allowed it to linger in his life. He allowed it to, to be part of his story too long. And before he knew it, he woke up one day and he's compromised. There was a gap that no longer could be filled, but there was a gap between who he was and who he desired to be. And none of us want to wake up one day and say, how in the world did things get so bad? Why didn't I just break away from compromise when I had the chance? Why why didn't I stop when I had the chance? 
Someone, why didn't you stop after like number three, dude? One is hard enough, right? 500, 700? Man, none of us want to wake up one day and say, even if you don't follow Jesus, none of you want to wake up one day and say, how in the world do things get so bad? Why didn't I break away from compromise when I had the chance? You know, I got friends back in Illinois who now are addicted to substances. And when you sit there and you talk with them, or anybody with major regret in their lives, they kind of say the same thing. Man, if I could just go back and change this or before things got too bad, I would do it. And right now is an opportunity for all of us. I, I don't believe any of us are done, but we don't want to. You don't want to wake up one day, ten years from now, five years from now, and say, "How did things get so bad? Why didn't I break away from compromise when I had the chance?" So I want to end this kind of discussion as we move forward. Like, let, let's let's look at like, how do we not do this? Because we care about each other too much. So then I go to the teaching of Jesus, and I often always go back to Jesus, and, and I see Jesus, and he taught, you know, grace and forgiveness, but he also was very clear many times on how to live, and he told this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we call it the GOAT sermon, the greatest sermon of all time, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you have not read that, go home and read that today, like, just do it today, I, I promise you, because that entire sermon talks about, essentially, how to stay away from sin, and how to live in the way Christ has called us to, but towards the end of the sermon, I love what Jesus says, and, and some of the most convicting verses, I believe, in all the Bible, it says this, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Many people will not live the life that God has designed for them. Many people enter through it, but small, small is the gate and, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus says there are two roads in this life. One leads to destruction, one leads to not destruction, that leads to life. Most people take this road of destruction. It's, it's wide, and many people take it. And the other road, it, it's narrow, but it, it has enough room for everybody. Everybody's invited, but very few people take it. And, and he says, like, most people need to understand that there's two roads to pick, and compromise leads to the road of destruction. But there's a road, and on that road, Jesus often would describe himself as, as the way, the truth, the life, the, the, the one to the Father. He is the roadmap. He is the one you follow to get through the narrow gate. And Jesus says, you've got to live a life in my commands. You've got to live a life obedient to me. You've got to make me savior of your life. He's like, that is open to everybody, but very people actually choose to do this. You see, what Jesus invites us to in our lives is to no longer be slaves to compromise, to no longer be slaves to sin. And the question, he invites us to say, hey, you don't have to be on this path that Solomon was in. You don't have to be the path that David was on. You don't have to be on the, the path that leads to destruction. You don't have to lead, live on the path that one day you wake up and say, how do things get so bad? Why is there a gap from who I want to be and who I wanted to be, who I am and who I want to be? You can take the narrow road, and I'm that way. And I invite you to follow me and no longer be slaves to sin. You're going to sin, you're going to fall, but you don't have to be slaves to those. Those no longer have to lead you to destruction. Well, how do we start that? Well, a good place to start is the Sermon on the Mount. When he talks about not judging others. He talks about what the blessed life looks like. He talks about not letting riches and treasures of this world lead you. He talks about not building your life on a, a shaky foundation, but building your life on him. And the Sermon on the Mount tells us so much. And why I love the Sermon on the Mount, as I read through the Sermon on the Mount, it's this practical teaching. Yes, it was revolutionary and it was something brand new, but as you read through it, it's practical. And it shows us that faith growth happens in the everyday grinds of life. 
What I mean by that is that our faith on this road, on this narrow road, is tested every single day. And when are you most tempted to compromise? When are you most tempted to sin? I would say when, it's, when you're doing the things you do every day. When did Solomon compromise? When did Solomon disobey God? When he was doing the responsibilities of what kings were supposed to do. So when, when are you most tempted to compromise? It's probably when you're at work or when you're at home or when you're living life and doing things with people you're not supposed to be around. That's when you're tempted to compromise. And in those moments... When we're tempted, because we're all tempted. In those moments when there's something dangling in front of us, when there's moments when we have decisions to make, am I going to be obedient? Am I going to do my own thing? That's when faith grows. When you decide to be obedient and do what you're supposed to do, when you're tested and you you pass the test, when there's something in your life and it's calling you one way, but you decide to stay on the narrow way, that's when your faith grows. It doesn't just grow on Sundays. It happens in the everyday grinds of life. And as you're living and reading the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see that almost every single topic happens as you're living every day. Don't worry. He says, don't worry about life. Look at the birds in the sky. Do they worry? He's like, no, just keep living life. He talks about not judging people. And he talks about putting God first in that sermon. And it happens by living life every day. So what I want to do is I want to end with three ways that you can live life every day on the narrow path not giving, not giving in to temptation and compromise. One, run when you're, you're tempted to flirt. Run when you're tempted to flirt. Flee when you're tempted to flirt. Run when you're tempted to flirt. Solomon started off like many of us. His desire was to do what pleases the Lord, what pleases God. But eventually he loses focus. He starts focusing on other things. He no longer focuses on what God wants him to do. He focuses on his kingdom and how big this kingdom can be. And he shows us this, this, this principle of life that we all know. Wherever your focus is, is where you'll go. Wherever your focus is, is where, you, where you'll go. And Solomon's focus was like, he's like, I want, to be, I want to be this massive king. I want to build this massive kingdom. His focus was constantly building his kingdom. And that's where he went. And, and when you're focused on whatever's hanging in front of you, whatever compromise, whatever it is in front of you, That's where you go. So you have to ask yourself, where is your focus? Where's your focus? This is a better question. What compromises are you allowing to linger and dangle in your life? What temptations are you flirting with when you should be running? Solomon knew each of these wives was going to bring things into his kingdom that he could not afford to bring into his kingdom. And he, instead of running from them, he ran to them. Where's your focus? What, what we have to understand is a lot of compromise comes down to the, this idea of temptation. Or the root of compromise is temptation. And giving in to temptation, temptation and compromise is a bad investment. Right? It never gives you the payback you want, right? the, the outcome you want. Right? We're, we make investments every day. Making investments in your time, in your energy, in your effort, in your money. And you hope that you have a good payout. When you, don't, when you flirt with those temptations and those compromises and you give in to them, it gives you a payout you never want. It never brings an investment that is beneficial to your life long term. So whatever is dangling in front of you, whatever person, whatever situation, whatever substance is you, that you're allowing to, to just dangle in your life that you know if I give in to, it's going to make me compromise, it's going to lead to sin. What we need to do is we need to run from it. You need to run when you're tempted to flirt. The second idea or thing we can apply to our lives is this. Do what you're supposed to do so you can do what you're supposed to do. 
pretty easy, right? Do what you're supposed to do so you can do what you're supposed to do. When I think of this, I think of coaching and I go back to my coaches and, and how much they always talked about practice. Right? Hey, game speed, game speed, go full speed in these drills. And so when I was a coach, I wanted my players to go full speed through the drills, fast as they could. And I want, when we ran new plays, full speed. When we ran new sets, full speed. When we worked on our press, full speed. And the idea is this, that if you're doing what you're supposed to do at practice, when the game comes and I need to stop and we need a rebound, we need a, we need a bucket, You've been doing what you've been supposed to be doing at practice. So when the time comes, you're able to do what you're supposed to do, right? So when I needed Nate Elliott to hit me a three-pointer, he already hit 700 three-pointers at practice because he did what he was supposed to do, right? When, when you need Peyton America to get a turnover, he was already doing what he was supposed to do and so, at practice. So he was able to do what he was supposed to do in the game. Life is so much like that. When we're living this life, and the Bible calls the life the race, is we're living this race and we're doing what we're supposed to do. What's that meaning? We're being obedient to God. We're living in the decrees and the commands of God and, and the ways of Jesus. We're doing what we're supposed to do. When, the, when a situation arises, when a compromise arises, when, when a temptation comes, and they will come, you're able to do, and you're able to handle that temptation the way you're supposed to handle it because you've been living the life you're supposed to be living all along. And when you live the life you're supposed to do, be living, you're able to do what you're supposed to do. God has a purpose for your life. God had a purpose for King Solomon to make him a king like Israel had never seen, the world had never seen, but he wasn't able to fulfill his purpose because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And uh, the, we don't always know when that plan comes. We don't always know what that plan looks like. But if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're living obedient, we're living out to the decrees and the commands of God, our faith is growing and we're being sanctified and changed by the Holy Spirit. When God calls you to fulfill your purpose, you're able to do what you're supposed to be doing. Why? Because you've been living the life you're supposed to be living all along. And to do that, you gotta ask yourself, and this is where self-reflection is so important when it comes to sin and compromise. What is your weakness? What are the things in your life? What are your weaknesses and what weaknesses are stealing your purpose is the question I should ask. What are your weaknesses? What weaknesses are you allowing to steal your purpose and your blessing? A substance, a person, money, whatever your weakness is, figure that out and then apply what, I, what one of my favorite ministers of all time calls them, provide guardrails in your life. Predecide there are certain things you will not do, certain places you will not go, certain people you will not talk to or hang out with because they may cause you to fall into temptation or compromise. Because I believe your biggest regrets in life could have been avoided if guardrails were in your life. What is your weakness? What is, where are you tempted? And what do you need to be doing right now so you're able to do what God wants to do in your life? And the third and most important one is be obedient to God no matter what, the, what it costs. That's what this really comes down to. We could have probably ended this sermon 35 minutes ago and you guys would all be happy, right? But I could have ended it with this line. I could have said, don't compromise. Be obedient to God no matter what the cost. I'm not a doomsday guy. I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not like a negative guy, but I will tell you the world needs this more than ever. Christians who are obedient to God no matter what it costs and it will cost you something. There's a book out there that says, what is the cost to follow Jesus? It will cost you everything. In 2022, it will cost you something to follow Christ, to follow Jesus. And we need to be obedient to God no matter what it costs. No matter what people say, no matter what people think, no matter how many feathers get ruffled, we're going to be obedient to God no matter what it costs. We're going to hold to our convictions. We're going to hold to our beliefs. We're going to hold to our values. 
Solomon decided to give up and said, I'm no longer going to be obedient to God. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the greatest question of your life is, it comes down to this once you become a follower of Christ. Am I going to do what God has called me to do? Or am I going to do what God, or am I going to do what I want to do? Am I going to do what God has called me to do? Am I going to be the person that God has called me to be? Am I going to live out the purpose God has put in my life? Or am I going to do what I want to do? That is the greatest question you can ask. And if you want to be the person God's called you to be, break away from compromise. And if you're here today, and you're like me and many other people, and you feel like, man, maybe I've compromised too much, I just want to leave you with this. God isn't going to give up on you. And whatever you've done is not the end of your story. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. We have a Savior named Jesus who decided that I would die for each and every one of you so you could no longer be sins to slave, but you have to live on a narrow life. And on that narrow life, he says, I will give you ways to escape temptation. I'll give you ways to escape compromise. And that doesn't have to be the end. Sin and brokenness no longer has to be the end of your story. I can be the end of your story. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful, so, so thankful that you, get, that you gave us Jesus and you allow us to break away from compromise. But better yet, God, you say whatever we've fallen, wherever we fall short, wherever our compromises are, that's not the end of our story. God, you have a purpose and a plan for our lives. God, and I, I pray that we just become a church that lives out for that plan and purpose. God, and we just thank you so much for just not giving up on us. I pray that we have the strength to, to break away from compromise, that we're able to do what we're supposed to do so when the time comes, we can do what we're supposed to do. We love you so much. We're going to continue worshiping you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, it's me again. Well, I, I wanted to be able to make this announcement, uh, you guys to hear it from myself. Uh, I will be transitioning in the coming weeks from being your senior pastor, and I will be a lead pastor in another church. Uh, and it was one of the toughest decisions we have made as a family, one of the toughest decisions in my life at, at this point. Um, eight and a half years ago, God called us here. And my, my call in ministry has always been the same, be obedient to God no matter the cost. And that cost brought me to Rising Sun, Indiana, when I had no idea what it was or where it was. And as we think back, you know, there's a lot of firsts here. First sermon as a, as a lead pastor, first sermon as a full-time ministry, where I bought my first house, had my first kid, and a lot of firsts, and a lot of great, great memories. But our, our desire, and my and Whitney's desire, has always been to be obedient to God. And lately, in this, this season of ministry, we felt God has been calling us elsewhere. And so we're going to accept that call and transition out of this role in the, in the coming weeks. We believe God is still going to do amazing work at RSCC. We believe God is not done with RSCC, and we will continue to cheer on and watch RSCC from afar. And Mike's going to continue some more things. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, um, yeah we're, we're uh, certainly saddened to see Nathan, Whitney, Natalie go. Um, you know, Nathan's been an awesome friend. He's been a coach of our kids. He's, he's been a workout partner, uh, a leader in this church, and... You know, for the last eight and a half years, he's poured his, his heart and soul into this, this uh, community and this organization, uh, RSCC. So can we just give Nathan a round of applause real quick? So on a personal note, I just want to say um, Nathan has been nothing but professional, you know, since we had the conversation a few days back. 
Uh, it was a tough conversation, but when we realized that God has called him to Logansport, um, he has been nothing but professional in helping us get prepared for that next stage. So lining up preachers for after his departure date to helping us with professional resources for, you know, looking for our next lead minister who's going to lead this church. So I want to thank you personally for, for that piece. Uh, and we're sad that, that him and Nathan and Natalie are going to leave, but we know that God has a plan for him and Logan's poor, just like he's got a plan for us here at RSCC. So uh, my promise to you and, and from the board is we will be completely transparent with the process. So if anyone has any questions for us as we go through this transition process, reach out to myself, reach out to any of the board members. Uh, it's it's going to be a struggle. We covet your prayers. Uh, we want... You guys to pray for Nathan and Whitney as they pack up everything and go north, but we also want you to pray for us as we uh, look for this new lead minister to lead our church. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is on June 19th, that will be Nathan's last preaching day. He'll be here a couple weeks after that, but that will be his last preaching day. And we've got, got everything lined up for a, about a month after that. But uh, after first service, we will have coffee, donuts, and then after second service, we're going to get pizzas or skyline or something uh, to send Nathan off. So with that, I'll be back in the back. If, if you have any questions for, for me, please, you know, don't hesitate to ask. Happy to talk to you about the process, but just want to pray for, for Nathan and Whitney as, as they uh, lead a new chapter of their life. Nathan, will you pick us out? God, we, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of being able to do what we do. Father, and I thank you for the years that you've led us here and many great years and great memories, Father. And as we transition out in a difficult season, uh, be some growing pains on both ends, Father. I just hope we end on a good note and just on love and, and passion and, and you matter, Father. I pray for RSCC in, in the coming months and, and the years. And I know you're not done with them. You're just starting and their best days are ahead, Father. Pray you be with me as I transition out and into the next season, God. But most of all, I pray that we leave here being obedient to you no matter the cost. We're going to continue to praise you one more time, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.